I want to have a little um, competition here this morning. If we can just take our seats again. You can pick up those conversations in a, in a little while just out and over coffee. That's the beauty of church. It doesn't stop. When we come together, um, God's Spirit comes amongst us. We, we just feel amazing because of His Spirit. We start talking and it doesn't have to stop. It can just carry on in the cafe and carry on into the afternoon as well of just the presence of God and the life of God. I thought we'd do a little clap-ometer um, test today. Did anyone notice um, uh, Katie dancing here today? Let me see, just by clapping, how, how you appreciated that today for Katie. <laughs> That's a good clap. Oh, Katie will be wrapped. Now, Brian did an amazing job here today, didn't he? Yeah. Can we just, by clapping, just get a, a sense of where it went? <laughs> well done, Brian. God is amazingly faithful. Hey, we're, we're too, I've been doing a series on the kingdom of God, and so that means the place where God is king, right? And it's a spiritual place where he's in charge and we all become followers, people who are following the king. And this morning I want to talk about the kingdom of abundance because um, God is also king of our finances. And the, God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom of overflow. And yet not everybody... Um, in periods of their life, sees that. But what Brian was talking about today was just a time and a season of absolute overflow into his life as God met the, the needs that he actually had. And I want to talk today about how the kingdom actually affects our finances and that this is part of growing as a disciple of him. And I really encourage you not to switch off because there are people who believe and there are people who partly believe, and there are people who won't believe, and yet God is, the, is still king of the entire realm, and yet some people say, oh no, oh no, oh no, I'm not sure. And I, I reckon we all should be really discerning about what we do with our money. Can I get a wave? Yeah. I mean, we've spent 40-something hours working each week to be able to earn this, and we need to be careful whether it's just quickly buying something with the visa or whether someone's asking us for money or, or what God wants. We should be discerning because it's been so much hard work to be able to get. But I want to tell you, after having walked with Jesus for, I think, 46 years now, the best thing that Sandra and I have ever done is to invest and to believe God and to invest into his kingdom. Absolutely the best thing that we have ever done in our lives. But I want to tell you too, there are seasons and there, it's like every decade there are shifts that take, have taken place in my life and they're probably true in yours too. And it gets better, <laughs> not worse. God is absolutely amazing. Now there's two extremes that have caused a lot of damage across the body of Christ and, and ridicule in the world. And, and um, one extreme causes more ridicule than the other. Um, but there's two extremes in terms of kingdom finance. The first one is to believe that it's more spiritual to have nothing and to give it all away, that in poverty there is real spirituality. 
And there's a big section of the church that has believed that. It's an extreme. And then over here, there's people like American evangelists who think that three jets are not enough. And he needs a fourth. And it's an extreme. And it does incredible damage. But what I want to say to you is that the truth is in the middle. There is a real truth in the fact that God says, my kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. So don't let the extremes put you off, even if they've damaged you. Look past those extremes and have a look in the Bible about what I want to preach over this Sunday and in a couple of weeks' time on another one as well about this. You know what the Bible really teaches? Would you like to know? Money is a tool. It's also a strangling God that needs to be dethroned till it becomes a tool in our lives that is for us and for others. Let me take you on some of this um, as we go through it today. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that Brian was talking about, and I want to just really preach on on verse 8 to start off with, but I want to give the context by starting in verse 6 and going through to verse 11. And Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I once heard a preacher says, if you ever feel under compulsion in a, ser- in an o- a service, put your, put your wallet back in your pocket. It's, it's a good thing to do. If you feel you're being strong-armed into forced to do something, don't, don't give under compulsion. But give what you've decided to give as you come, uh, as you come to, um, the, to church. For God loves a cheerful giver. Turn and smile at your neighbor. Give them a rating out of 10. How did they do in terms of cheerfulness? (laughs) Most of us can hit a 10 some of the time. God loves a cheerful giver. And look at this. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Would you say abundantly? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let me read it again. God is able to bless you, New Testament Christians, abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Wouldn't you love to be able to buy Andrew and Jan a home when they come back from the mission field? Wouldn't you love to be in the circumstances where you had such an overflow, you could bless a couple who have done the sacrificial giving it all away for the course of their major part of their lives? And they haven't got it because they've given it away. They've given the opportunity to be able to live and they've spent what they had to do all of the mission things that they seek to do. You see, how big is your goal and your faith? Because look what it says. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work like buying Andrew and Jan a home so that their retirement years start to echo yours and my retirement years also. What a great goal. Now he, he is God. Now God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Well, what's all that about? Well, just think it's an agrarian economy. Everything is harvested in. 
And any good farmer knows that he puts some aside for seed and some he can bake or she can bake and they can turn it into any amount of bread and they can sell the bread or they can eat the bread, they can have all of that. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase the amount of seed you've got to be able to sow into circumstances. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This is one of the most pregnant scriptures in the whole Bible. And God's talking about finance. It's amazing. Have a look at it in the Living Bible. And verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to put in the bank and keep it all for yourself. Plenty left over to share with others. See, this is God's plan for every believer. Abundance. God's kingdom has never, ever been and won't be a kingdom of lack. But he has followers who believe this, and he has followers who find it very, very hard to believe this. There's things in their lives that say, oh, no, I can do better with organizing my finances, thanks. So I want to really encourage you to, to look at the scriptures that are here and not to base it on what a televangelist wants in terms of new toys, but to have a look at what the scripture says is your right of your inheritance in Christ. Because it takes faith. The inheritance in Christ is ours by faith. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. Everything God gives to us takes a belief and faith. For the door to open. God's desire, I believe, is that money would become a tool in our hands. And then begin to overflow around us. So that we've got money to be able to share with other people. Okay, I'm going to preach some more on that next week. But that's the basis of what, what the Bible actually teaches. For, for what a New Testament believer's life is like. But God, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about faith. He spoke more about money than about a lot of other topics in the Bible. And the interesting thing is that it took me a long time to figure out is that God uses money to train us. In other words, God uses the money that we have coming into our circumstances and what we do with it on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis for our discipleship. Now, that may be a new thought. Have you ever noticed how quickly, if something unjust, that you consider unjust to do with money that is yours or should be yours or is coming to you doesn't happen, how quickly it surfaces things out of your heart? Have you noticed that? No? Do, do, do none of you, you're just happy? Oh, well, it's all right. You go into the dairy, someone buys, your, your mum buys food for your brother and sister and none for you. You walk out, no, it's all right, I don't mind. I didn't notice. I'm not hungry. I didn't want what they had. Have you noticed how money does that? All sorts of things. People go, families absolutely fall out over inheritances. Lawyers get involved, lawyers get rich, families get poorer. But I have you noticed this? Please give me some feedback. 
I'm not going to go on unless you have noticed it. <laughs> this is the power money has in our lives. <laughs> you know, God knew those things were in your heart even before you and I discovered them. And he's hoping that we'll actually bring them to the cross when we notice them. But money's the tool that raises these things up. You know, in the Old Testament, it is true that God's blessing was shown upon a person's life by the amount of wealth that they had. In the Old Testament, people could be seen to be blessed by God. Think Abraham. Think David. Think Job. At the end of all Job's trials, what happened? God gave him double the amount of money that he had in the beginning. Shop, uh, shops, <laughs> flocks, herds, all sorts of things. The Old Testament, it was as if God was putting huge blessing around, just wanting to, to, to um, gather the person's heart by the overflow of external blessings that would come around their life. In the New Testament, God came up with a new method, a different approach. And God worked with, works within us in the New Testament, in the inner man, in what we would call the heart. And he brings his kingdom experience and reign into our heart, whether he touches the external or not, he starts on the inside of us. And he says, once the inside gets, gets in good state and good condition, gets born again, it then starts to affect our body, and then it starts to affect, uh, affect even the outside of our lives. He starts on the inside righteousness, peace, and joy. I love the fact that joy is one-third of the kingdom. You're supposed to be happy. You're allowed to be happy. Turn to the person next to you and say, no more scowling. I, I release you to joy today. You see, what God does is internally, he firstly just deposes sin from the throne of our hearts, and Jesus gets enthroned in our hearts, and that's why people's lives change so radically on the inside, and their eyes shine with inner peace and joy. I love what Katrina said the other week. Katrina, are you here? To yes, you're here right here, right now. Remember, um, we... I remember when you were just sharing about the change that had happened in your life when you came to Jesus and the happiness that came into your, into your life when Jesus became the Lord of your life. And then the inner transformation began to change the outward things in your life because that process of transformation doesn't stay still. It just keeps working its way out. And Katrina says, now I've got real friends, friends who are friends for me. Isn't that great? People that love her for who she is. That inner calm was there, and then, inner fr and then outer friends started to come. And she said, my pantry shelves are stocked with food, including coffee. Did you notice how often Katrina mentioned coffee? She loves it. She's got coffee there. And she says, I've got money in the bank for bills, where before I didn't have it because alcohol or drugs or something else was always taking the money. The inner life. Then the body and the, and the soul and then the outer life starts to come into play. And people start to, when they become Christians, start to show that something's changed and it slowly begins to affect the outer life as well. And it doesn't just happen in the first world, it happens in the third world as well. Even, even Christians in, in tribal villages, you go back a year later after they've given themselves to Jesus and there has been a lift economically for those people. Missionaries call it um, redemptive lift will take place. But it happened around your life too, if you think back. 
New Testament prosperity begins from the inside out. And John, when Apostle John, when he was an old man and he'd spent time on that beautiful Greek island that I would love to go back to called Patmos, just this amazing, lovely seas and the bluest of blues and the cruise. Anyway, he, he after he'd been thinking in his old age about, about the Christian life under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and, and 3 John uh, um, verse 2 says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. He says, you're getting well on the inside, and I'm praying now that the outside starts to get well too, and you start to see the prosperity of God around your life. Would anyone like more of that? Because that's what the Bible teaches is ours. New Testament prosperity comes from the inside out. There's a link between your spiritual life and how you are on the inside and what begins to take place in your body. You know, the, the, the Proverbs are full of um, things of the link between the, the condition of the spirit and the soul and the body. It says, if, if, if um, a merry heart will do good like a medicine, and it says a, a, a broken spirit will, will dry the bones. There can come sickness into a person's life when things aren't right. But once Jesus comes in, everything begins to change. <coughs> and sanctification, listen to me now, sanctification is an event and a process. I hope you know this. Sanctification, being changed into the image of Jesus, is an event where Jesus says, God says, I see you as absolutely perfect, righteous before me, an event. But it's also a process of working that out through our lives as we begin to walk righteously also. But it comes as we understand and believe that we are actually right in God's sight, perfect before him. That we start, begin in that process of walking that out as well. And so as sanctification develops... It's an issue of lordship. You see, we put Jesus on the throne of our life, if we think of it in that way, of our heart. But there are things down within our life that he's not lord of. And one of the best things God uses to show us what those things are is injustice with your money. Nothing gets human beings more riled than when something they believe is theirs is tampered with. If you go to work tomorrow, you'll be silly because there'll be no one else there. If you go to work on Tuesday and your wages have, have been adjusted down, you will not be a happy puppy. Something will rise in your heart. And sanctification is when we, these things rise and we learn to take these things to the cross and say, God, I didn't even know that ugliness was as ugly as that. I didn't know it was there. Well, I might have had a hint, but it's bigger and larger and growlier than I thought. Please forgive me. We bring these things to the cross. Sanctification or lordship is, is the development of lordship issues in our lives. And money can show us things that, that God is not Lord over yet in terms of walking it out. He's, he is Lord over everything in terms of the righteousness that he gives us. Just play with that in your mind for a while. So I want to I take you to some scriptures that just talk about this because, because this is character development. 
And the really interesting thing that I want to show you today is that sometimes the promise and the level of character development we have don't match. Have a look at this. There are three stories that Jesus tells, one after another, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. It goes on into chapter 20. Three stories. It's really interesting when something is emphasized three times. There's, there's a meaning. There's a, there's, we should grasp this. So let's have a look at this, the first story. It says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Why do you call me, ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. But all these I've kept, the young man said. But he knew he wasn't right. He said, what, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, he probably just looked at him. I can picture him looking at him and then speaking. If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Story number one, which flows into the next story, number two. So he's gone. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. What was the eye of the needle? It was a small gate on the side of the wall so people could just come and go without going through the big gate, gates around the city wall. So it's, he's saying, look, it's easier for the camel to get through there than for a rich person um, to get into heaven. And again, I tell you, it's, whoops, we read that. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. So he's talking to the disciples there. He's, that, we're, we're not going to sit on any one of those 12 thrones. It's just for the, the, the disciples who became the apostles. But then he gets to everyone, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, in other words, assets or financial resources, and brother, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. You know, Peter had a house, he had a business, he had a mother-in-law. He left all of those things. He will be reimbursed with a hundred mother-in-law type people for that blessing of leaving his mother -in But he had a lot of assets, so he's going... If the camel has to go through, who's, who can be saved? And thank goodness Peter um, speaks quickly because he helps all of us because many of us have got mother-in-laws. <laughs> now, these two stories are intertwined. The rich young ruler was given a command he was unwilling to attempt. Now, why was he unwilling to attempt it? Here's my take, and I think I'm right. Jesus could see that money had him 
and not the other way around. The issue was, who was going to be Lord in this person's life? Was it money or was it Jesus? And eventually, all of us have to come to the point where we determine if Jesus is going to be Lord of our finances. You know, Martin Luther, um, he made a quote about um, people, some people getting baptized and holding their money out of, out, of, out of the water. I've got a little picture here for you to have a look at. He said, this is what it's like for some people. They want to follow Jesus, but they don't want their, bo- their wallet to get baptized. But Mark adds a phrase that shows us what Jesus saw. And I am right, because Mark says this. He says, how hard it is for the, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus saw that his issue was he was trusting his wealth. The wealth was Lord. And he couldn't trust that Jesus would look after him. Now, the interesting thing is this is the only person in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus told this command, go and give everything away to, to the poor. When he talked to Zacchaeus, who had made immense wealth through um, uh, fraud and and standover tactics in in gaining taxes and things, um, he didn't give that same command to Zacchaeus. And the reason was that from Zacchaeus's heart, once Zacchaeus was convicted, he immediately knew he had to do something with his money. And, and he told Jesus, this is how I'm going to do it. He says, I'm going to give half to the poor, and I'm going to give four times what I took from anyone back to them, which tells me that he had made a small amount of money into a large amount of money through some other trading that had gone on. He was wealthy, but he, he immediately knew Jesus has to be Lord on my heart in the, in the area of finance. And he told Jesus how he was going to do it. And Jesus stayed with a very wealthy family, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And there was no command whatsoever recorded in the scriptures about this wealthy family, that what they should do with their money. And my point in saying this is that Jesus deals with money, the way Jesus deals with money in any one of our lives is not a formula. He speaks to us individually. And, and if money is, a, is, is the Lord of our lives, he will speak to us about that. And he can say, give it all away to anybody. But then you get people like Andrew and Jan, they just give it away without a command, and they live a life to serve him as a missionary overseas for their lifetime. And they follow that command to give it away just by the call of God and the answering response that they have in their lives to that. Now, Peter's response is really helpful that he got shocked. And I believe that shows that he was wealthy, along with the other disciples as well. So what Jesus says next really helps us. I'll go back and read some of that passage again. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they said, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but with God nothing's impossible. Peter answered them, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, this is all of us now, 
Everyone who has left houses or assets or fields or brothers or sisters or family or mother or children for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. But Mark adds some more clarification to what Matthew has written and, and, and says this. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present life. Did anyone get that? That's a cool word. Seriously, let's get rid of the religious stuff. Jesus is saying, I will return what I ask of you or what you sacrifice for me now, you can trust me. You can trust me with your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And if anyone's planning to live over 100, trust him there as well. He won't let us down. I'll return 100 times as much. However, along with persecutions. That's like taxes. And in the age to come, you will also get eternal life. But there is, there is a, an abundant supply for Christians who are sacrificing for God along with persecutions. The sad thing is, quite a bit of that persecution will come from other Christians. Because a lot of Christians are very small thinking around finance. And they don't like it when someone who is also a Christian starts to get extravagantly blessed. And all sorts of criticism will come. I remember Max Palmer saying to me once, he said, I always buy new cars, but no one knows it. I only buy white ones. <laughs> He'd figured out a way to slide under the anger and persecution that Christians would give to him. Think about it. But the persecution is much more than just the kind of bad attitude that Christians can have to other Christians. It's also a spiritual persecution that will come. The moment anyone starts to rise into God's will and the elevation of influence and authority that God places on their lives, you are a tar more of a target for the enemy and the attack of the enemy will come. And it's true in this area of finance too. Because God have, has many Christians who believe it and they are targets but he's got so many Christians who don't believe it. And they're marching on the spot. And sometimes they'll march on the spot for a decade. And their friends are up here in terms of the blessing of God financially around their lives. And in the next decade, they're up here. And sadly, some Christians are still, I can't trust God, I can't trust God, I can't trust God. Because the money's got them. So it then goes on into the next, um, chapter 20, into the next story. And for the sake of time, I won't, I won't read the, um, the text, but I'm, I'm sure it's a text that you know very well. Jesus tells the third story. And it's linked. The link is the last verse, because remember there were no chapters in, in the original Greek. Um, it was all just one long flowing book. It was a, it was a letter. Um, and so there were no chapters and headings. 
And the last verse and the first last verse of chapter 19 and the first, last verse of the story in chapter 20 are, are the same. And, and he explains more how God uses money to train us, to grow us up, to build character within us. And he says a landowner employs some workers early in the morning in the hot sun. Um, that, oh, I want to do an advert. Can I just have a moment to do an advert? Sandra and I would love to take a team to Israel in September next year. We're hoping that a lot of you will come. That's the advert. So we've been looking at the temperatures in Israel, and there are places where it is really, really hot. Really hot. It gets to the 40-plus degrees. But there are many places where it's, high, it, it's mid to high 30s as well. So... Um, uh, we don't know exactly where this is pictured, but it's hot sun of the day. And he, he comes to some workers and he says, look, I'll pay you a fair day's wage. Let's call it $200 for a fair day's wage out in the fields. 12 hours for $200. Maybe we should make it $400. What do you reckon? Two or four? Two or four? How many for four? How many for two? How many don't care? Uh, all right, we'll stay with two, $200. <laughs> For 12 hours out in the field, $200. And then a few hours later, he goes out into the market, the, the owner goes out into the, to the uh, courtyard, into the marketplace, and gets some more people. What are you doing? Do you want to work for me? Yes. Look, I'll pay you a fair, fair wage. Come in. They go in. And a few hours later during the day, he he's, um, goes out again and gets more workers. And, and the Bible says he just keeps doing that through the day. And there's some people after 11 hours, the other people have been working for 11 hours, he goes out, get these people. They only get to work for one hour. And then suddenly the whistle blows and the day is over. 12 hours work in the for some of them in the very hot sun. But he says, the owner says, I want you to now pay the wages, tells the foreman, pay the wages for all the workers, but start with the ones who started at the 11th hour. They've only worked for one hour. So they line everybody up and they get the ones who have worked the least and the wage is given to them. And how much is it? $200. What are the people down here doing at this moment? They are going, yes. This is a great day to be alive. They got $200 for one hour's work. Man, we are going to get, give me a figure. I heard that thousand. We're going to get $1,000. They got 200. We worked 12 hours in the heat of the day. We're going to get 1,000. And they're rejoicing so much, they don't even seem to notice that it's 200, 200, 200, 200. And it gets to these people. Now, why did... The story, instead of paying these people first, because if they'd got their wages and they got $200, they'd be happy and their heart would be glad and they would go home that night and they would cook a great meal and they would sit down in front of their TV in those ancient days and, and they would feel really good. They were expecting a 1000 and they get paid $200 and they're ticked off. How dare he do this? This is not right. I deserve, I need, this is unjust. Yeah. And Jesus told this story to the disciples straight after. He'd said to them, you're going to get a hundred times as much for the things that you sacrifice. 
You see, if we can't celebrate when God is extravagantly blessing someone who doesn't deserve his extravagant blessing and we're just getting wages, then we're not ready for the elevation that a hundred times blessing in our life would bring. God is waiting for our character to develop to the point where we can be blessed that so-and-so got healed and we're not. And we can be blessed that so-and-so got this, is in this amazing season where the, they, they're just the money that's coming, the, Brian gets a car and he, I'm paying five fifty every time I go to, the, to get a warrant. And Brian got a car and, and no one's giving me a car. And God's saying, the money's still got you. The money's still got you. It's weird. It's like God's saying in these stories, this thing called money that has the potential to damage you and maybe even take you out, if you can get to the place where it's just a tool in your life, I'll give you a hundred times as much of this once deadly stuff. Let me illustrate this. I was in, um, in Nelson on Wednesday, had to go up for the day. And at night I was meeting with um, a group of pastors and there were three of us from the governing body of the Baptist Union who were, sorry, four of us. And we'd been up there to meet with um, the pastors that were there. There were eight local pastors and four of us from the Baptist Union. And we were having a lovely meal out. And my meal was supposed to be paid for by the Baptist Union. And the local pastors were going to pay for themselves. And I'm standing a few back in the queue, watching what the chair of Assembly Council is doing with his credit card. I'm thinking, I wonder if he's going to pay for me. And I watched, and he, he paid for three meals and left. I was surprised what came up out of my heart <laughs> and the thoughts that I had. But I, maybe it was because I'd been re um, reading the scriptures around this. I suddenly thought, you know, I, I get paid really well. I've got a, I'm on a good wage. And have a look at the day I had up there. I had just had such a cool day in Nelson. That was beautiful. That was one o'clock in the afternoon, not a ripple. But it was surprising. When I got home, and I thought, you know, these guys have traveled further. They've had more involved, involvement than I have. Good on them that they're getting blessed, and I'm paying for my meal. Um, <laughs> but when I got home, when I got home, I did still feel the need to say to Sandra that this had happened. <laughs> but a real circumstance. But, but that's the reality of it. If it seems wrong, I thought, should I cough? <coughs> <coughs> Rob. And I thought, nah, it's fine. And it was fine, but it wasn't quite fine. <laughs> but a real story was when we were in our 20s, uh, I was just in our 30s, Michael was a tiny little baby, and my uh, good friend said, sell your house and let's buy two sections together, two properties, and, um, and we'll live together. We'll live next door to each other. And he convinced us to sell a house, and then the four of us went looking at two sections on a, on a, um, a slight hill. Um, and I remember going there, and he's looking at the top section, and we're looking at the bottom section. 
And, and I was so annoyed and angry and agitated that he was looking at the top section and he was not considering us. I thought, you're going to get the best view. And, and, and all this stuff, ugly, ugly stuff came out of my heart. And he's looking at me, or they're looking at, at Sandra and I, but mostly me. And, and, and I'm trying to hide this stuff, but I couldn't. And a few days later, he came back to me and he said, look, you guys can ha you have the top section if you want that. And when he said that, it was worse. <laughs> no way. And I just couldn't own it. And, you know, I missed one of the great opportunities to take some ugly stuff in my heart to the cross and get it dealt with and get forgiveness that's there. And this is what, God, this is what money can, can bring up in our lives. And God's waiting to see if our character will grow to the extent that he can start to bless us with what he's spoken about. If you've given up a house, you've given up friendships, and you're now in another country and a different circumstance, I'll repay that to you. But he's not dumb. He won't, he won't, well, I can't say won't, but he, he'll often hold back for that which would actually damage us and maybe even take us down in, in our lives or in our ministry because we can't handle it. He, he, he does give people beyond what they can handle, but, but he's a wise God too. And I think for many of us, if we understood this more, we'd be more aware of the things that go on around our lives and we'd start to grow in character, which will release the ability for him to bless us even more. I've got a friend who is very wealthy and I was just chatting with him two weeks ago. You were there, Alan, and, and um, others were there as well from here. And, and I, I asked him about money and he, he said to me, he said, I made a decision that if God would give me great wealth, I would trust him more in the times when I had great wealth than when I didn't have great wealth. Wow. Wow. He went the polar opposite of what most people do when great wealth comes around a person's life. Oh, we'll sit back, let's make some more stuff, let's do this. And he said, no, I'm not going to be like that. He's one of the most generous people that I know blesses so many people in this, in this city because he's, he's outworking. You'll have more than enough for you. There'll be overflow so that you can share it with others. This is the plan that God has for us with our finances. You know, I got a, a, an email from some missionaries and they said this would be a long email. I, I don't even know them. I don't know how they're on, I'm on their email thing. I think Sandra knows them. And, and um, they said, this is a long email. I thought, I'd better read it. So I read it through, and the end result was, um, we've got all these medical expenses. We need to fly back to Australia, and uh, we've got, can't remember how many thousands need to be paid. Would you consider giving? <laughs> See, that's the sort of thing that God makes us wealthy to be able to do. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you had enough wealth to be able to buy and set your children up in, in homes in an age where we're all talking about it's gone beyond what the next generation can afford. What level are you looking at and thinking and believing for? Because God wants abundance, but not so that we live 
at a new level of lavishness, but that we have enough for our lifestyle and we have enough to be able, more than enough to be able to give and give and give. Hey, can I just... Yes, I've got time. Can I have the band come up? Is that helpful? Yeah. Isn't the Word of God amazing? Just how layered it is with, with amazing truth that helps us to be able to go forward. You know, friends, it's a good sort of segue, really, to, for me to speak to anyone here that has never given your life to Jesus Christ. Because all of us are less than perfect. All of us are, are, have done wrong things, and we've, we've sinned. We've done what the Bible says we shouldn't do. And yet God wants a relationship with us. If you're here as no, someone who's not yet a Christian, God wants relationship with you. And if he let someone who was not perfect into heaven, it would ru ruin heaven. And so he, he can only allow people that are perfect into heaven. And, and the only way that, that we can, what, what we deserve is actually the other place called hell. But the amazing thing is that Jesus Christ loves us so much, he came to die on a cross to be able to take our punishment as Graham shared with us over communion this morning so that instead of us having to go to hell, we can be forgiven and we can have a, a, a righteousness that comes from Jesus himself put over our lives and we become eligible for relationship with God and heaven as well. And so I just wonder if we could just have a moment's quiet with maybe every head bowed, just, just so you, if, if I'm talking to you and you've never given your life to Jesus, you have a moment to be able to think about it. You know, if you would like a relationship, if you would like to have sin forgiven in your life, Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven by which people can be saved. Only Jesus came to the earth and died on a cross, a cruel, horrible death, so that he could forgive human beings and so that he could forgive you. So if you would like a relationship with him and you want to just turn from things that you know are wrong and, and invite him to be the leader of your life, I'd, I'd love to be able to pray with you and I'd love to give you some, some literature later and, and just um, see you born again into a brand new start, a brand new opportunity. But you have to respond. It's like God in coming to earth reached all the way down till he's just centimeters from you. But he needs you to actually open your heart and say, I want what you're offering me. I want that new start. I want forgiveness. So if you would like to, would you just raise your hand? And I just, I just simply want to, to pray with you. And then after church, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of information that you can take away to read about what you've done. Is there anyone here who's not brushing their hair? like to respond just raise your hand okay you can look up again I'm just going to hand over to Amy why don't you stand with us